This is Brad Milkey of ABC News Start Here podcast with your sports update. Down one star, the Golden State Warriors keep winning thanks to the rejuvenation of another. We'll explain coming up. What do you want a da-da-da? What do you want a da-da-da? I'm not a da with a da-da-da. We could switch to Progressa da Oh, yeah? We could switch to Progressa and sa. Okay. We could sa enough to buy some za. Oh, yeah. Let's switch to Progressa da and get some za with the money we saw. Yeah. Now we know we're going to da 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 These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. It might just be the most normal thing you da to da Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Warrior star Clay Thompson is out for the 2021 season with a torn Achilles tendon, but in his absence, two-time MVP Steph Curry has stepped up in a big way. Curry sits near the top of the league in points scored and three-pointers made and set a new personal best with 62 points in a single game. This ABC Sports update was brought to you by Progressive, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, you're listening to On the Record with me, Sunetra Chaudhary. Every week, I speak to a newsmaker who gives us a unique perspective to an ongoing big story. You're listening to On the Record with me, Sunitra Chaudhary. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Shashi Tharoor, who is not just a Congress politician, but he is also the author of many best-selling books. And his latest book, Battle of Belonging, deals with patriotism and nationalism, issues that are much talked about these days. The reason why I chose to speak with him today is because today is election day in America and If Donald Trump, if there was one issue that he's identified with, it is identity politics. So I wanted to talk about the uncertain times and what this verdict, which isn't very clear just yet, tells us about identity politics as it is evolving across the world. Also, more importantly, what does a Democrat or a Republican administration in the White House mean for India? Here's Shashi Tharoor. Hello and welcome to a very special broadcast here. It has been a very newsy day. Uh, we've all been following the U.S. elections uh, where there's a We don't know who's won yet. Uh, This was perhaps expected. And as Donald Trump has already said that they're going to Supreme Court and to talk about what's happening over there, what does it mean for us? I have a very special guest, Dr. Shashi Tharoor, who is not just a Congress MP. He's a very, very popular uh, best-selling author as well. And why I've chosen him to speak about what's happening in the U.S. elections is because he has a new book out. It's called The Battle of Belonging, and it deals with nationalism and patriotism and how it plays out. He's drawn the history of it, how it has played out across the world, and just how this entire concept, because it's so relevant right now, it's not just in the U.S. elections, it's in politics across the world. In India, we see evidence of it. And that's what Shashi Tharoor does in his new book. And as we all watch across the world, we're watching what's happening in America right now, perhaps 
it helps to have someone who has studied these concepts to understand and how how to look at these elections so shashi tharoor thanks very much and just to kind of uh, a note to our viewers uh, you can actually track this interview on any one of our platforms we are there on hindustantimes.com we're also there on our youtube channel and of course uh, we're also on twitter and facebook uh so dr thru thank you very much for speaking with us thank you it's good to be with you sunetra i think uh, your new incarnation looks suspiciously like your old one <laughs> that's true actually um i wanted to ask you have you been up all day uh, early morning following what's happening over there in the us no i've been i've been following it since i woke up but i wouldn't say i woke up for it because i was pretty sure we wouldn't have anything definitive uh, but as the results kept coming in um you know i had some meetings during the day in which the topic of a uh, topic of conversation was indeed how it was going and i think there's a, a an interesting uh, perception that's widely shared that in fact the experts um are, are just not getting it right when it comes to elections anymore because all the polls all the analyses seem to converge uh, on a fairly convincing and rapid victory for mr biden and instead what we've got is a neck and neck battle in which mr trump has done surprisingly better and so has his party in a number of senatorial races and 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 mr trump has held a lot of states that were assumed to be in play judging by the polls so uh it's it's fascinating and i must say it's been an incredibly interesting uh interesting day which will continue of course we we will go to bed in india without a result and then i think we will wake up tomorrow morning and see what else has happened since uh, i know and you know when we slotted your interview shashi tharoor at that time i thought that at 7 o'clock hopefully by then we should have a clear indication of who's going to be in the white house we're going to have a very clear cut interview over here um and of course as you said uh, it's perhaps going to be days and as uh, donald trump has already said he's going to supreme court so yes it is going to i don't think we have any clear resolution just yet but i want to start on you know you talked about the fact that how um the pollsters got it wrong but i want to touch on some of the ideas which you you know talk about in your book and which seem to have got highlighted in this election as well I want to start by asking you about racism. Now Donald Trump whether it's his first in 2016 bid or right now his re-election campaign um you know the whole thing about make America great again you know you talk about that how it's an instance of the kind of nationalism and of course I don't want to you know for people who go into the if you're interested in this you must read Shashi Tharoor's book because he kind of illustrates how patriotism is different from nationalism it's something which gets confused quite a lot uh by all of us but uh, you know the fact that trump uh has used this again i think w- one of the takeaways from this election and the results today uh is the fact that the latino voters you know uh one of the things that donald trump has been known for is the fact that in the first uh, campaign at least he talked about building the wall so it was kind of understood the fact that latinos are going to go with the democrats and the fact that it's the latino voters who have come out and led to the kind of win in florida for donald trump you know it kind of does that illustrate for you how fluid all of this about identity can really be well actually the latino story has been obliterated in the sense that i've got the breakdown of the exact numbers on it and it's 
36% of Latino men voted for Trump, 61% voted for Biden. So a good convincing majority still went for Biden. And amongst Latino women, even higher, 70% went for Biden and only 28 for Trump. So we should, we should understand that if you look at the overall picture, the bulk of Mr. Trump's support, if you're looking at race or ethnicity, has come from the white population. It looks like he got 58% of all white men and 55% of all white women, even though Biden had a woman on the ticket. Whereas he lost overwhelmingly amongst black men, black women, Latino men, Latino women, and all other races as well as a lump category. So, yes, you asked, you began by talking about racism. In my book, I describe uh, both globally and specifically in the Indian context, the issue of the different kinds of national nationalism that exist in the world. And after going through a detailed typology of nine types, I basically boil it down to two kinds. One, which is a nationalism based on identity, which includes ethnicity or race, religion, language, and so on. And the other based on what's called civic nationalism, which is a nationalism of institutions and constitutions rather than one of identity. Now, both India and America seem to be experiencing the same struggle, sort of struggle that I have described in great detail about India in my book, which is that in our case, our constitution created a civic nationalist India that your religion, your language, your ethnicity, anything that links directly to your identity, immutable things you acquire by birth, those do not have anything to do with your rights as an Indian citizen. So in other words, our constitution enshrines civic nationalism. And so does the American. You can migrate to America tomorrow, and even though you're not white, you're not necessarily English-speaking, you're not American-educated, whatever, you undoubtedly, undoubtedly uh, have the right to become American and to subscribe to their nationalism because it's a, an institutional civic nationalism. <laughs> now, the difference between that and the nationalism that Mr. Modi and the BJP are promoting in India today is that we are moving our nationalism, or there is an attempt by the ruling establishment to move our nationalism in the direction of ethno-religious nationalism. The Hindi-Hindu-Hindustan concept of the Hindutva movement is, uh, if you like, fundamentally at odds with the idea of civic nationalism. In America, civic nationalism remains the ideal, but this kind of election result or this kind of election pattern suggests an America more deeply divided on issues of race than uh, one could possibly imagine. In fact, um, it's striking that the same America, which twice in a row elected Barack Obama, is now uh, finding it difficult uh, to vote um, uh, for, uh, or let's, let me reverse it and say is finding it so easy uh, for whites to vote for a white candidate who has rather openly encouraged a white supremacist. Uh, and that, you know, the fact that a majority of white men and a majority of white women, and they represent about uh, 30, about a third of the electorate each. White men are 32% of American voters. White women are 33% of American voters. So of 65% of the electorate, you've got a clear uh, majority um, uh, that indicates a level of racial separation. That is Worried. If I were American, which I'm not, I wouldn't be very worried. Because, you know, it's very striking about from the last month or so of the campaign, 
you will have noticed that Mr. Trump's messaging throughout was, listen, uh, uh, Biden is old and sick and tired. If you vote for Biden, you're going to get Kamala as your president. And that was a very clear coded message that yes. uh, if you don't want the prospect of this black woman being your president or black and minority woman being your president, then you better not vote for Biden, vote for me. That, that message may well have sunk home with some of the white voters in the country. No, so I want, I'll come back to Kamala later and, of course, the Indian connection over there. But as you talk about, you know, if you talk about racism, what's interesting is while obviously nationalism and this kind of racism seems to sell as a narrative, would you say that's correct that it sells? Because right at the same time, we are also seeing the women of color who are called the squad, AOC and others, Ilan Omar and others, they've all won back. You know, they've come back to Congress. Uh, so there is, of course, you know, they have their voters there in their own constituency. They've managed to, you know, protect that. And yet, nationally speaking, Donald Trump has managed to, you know, sell the whole idea of nationalism and make America great again at a time when everyone thought and his uh, ratings seem to be down on the issue of just efficiency of how they performed on uh, on on you know performing uh, you know during the whole how he managed the COVID uh, crisis, uh, you know at a time when New Zealand has uh, allegedly voted back uh, Jacinda Ardern because of the way she managed the uh, COVID crisis, uh, it seems to be something that a lot of Americans because you know we don't know the outcome just yet. But obviously, he's managed to retain a lot of the constituency who didn't care for whether he mismanaged it or not. They didn't care for the fact that he himself, because of not caring, he, you know, he kind of contracted the virus himself. It was a super spreader. White House became a super spreader area. So it seems to be that nationalism uh, is something that really sells and much more than real issues, which in some other countries like New Zealand, we just got the message from there that maybe real issues are what matters to voters. But over here, it looks like, no, when it comes to America or some other countries, it's nationalism that counts. You put a lot of things in there. So know, on, your first point, on your first point about uh, liberals getting elected, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, if, if 55% of white people voted for Mr. Trump, that does mean there are 45 out there who think differently. And in the other groups, of course, there is major... There's a major majority, as it were, for Democrats. So it's not surprising. I think the Democrats will carry the House of Representatives. And what's been interesting to, to offset your remarks about the Liberals getting re-elected is the fact that uh, some of the Conservatives who were expected to lose didn't lose. So Lindsey Graham, who notoriously announced um, in the last year of Obama's term when he blocked, along with Mitch McConnell, when he blocked the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice nominated in February by Obama, saying that in principle, no Supreme Court justice should be uh, nominated in the last year of a president's term. That was in February of 2016. This year, in October of 2020, he and Mitch McConnell uh, essentially broke their word and their public pledges to the American people and said, we're going to appoint somebody whom Mr. Trump has nominated. And what was interesting about that was that many people thought this was the end of Lindsey Graham, he, uh, if not Mitch McConnell, who was in a very safe seat, that Lindsey Graham was looking vulnerable and that this would be the last straw. Well, both Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell have won their seats in the Senate. So you, you really have uh, arguments on both sides uh, that, you know, if you like, both extremes are finding validation. So that's on the first part of what you say. 
On the question of COVID performance, I agree with you. I think it is quite bizarre that a man who, who, who visibly, according to every single American analyst, has failed spectacularly in managing COVID, that such a person has got elected despite COVID and despite his failure. I mean, the, the large number of Americans who've died, I think over 200,000 who've died, and the millions who've contracted it because of the lack of proactive policies and the president setting a bad example of not wearing a mask himself, all of these things, <clears throat> and the lack of clear direction, the lack of provisioning, the lack of masks and PPE in the initial stages of the pandemic, all of these things that could have been laid uh, uh, at Mr. Trump's door do not seem to have hurt him. He's got the votes anyway. Uh, on your third point um, about nationalism, um, yes, Mexico to pay for it. Well, Mexico hasn't paid for a penny of it, and he hasn't built most of that wall anyway. What little has come up um, has, has potential structural and other practical problems, but his failure to fulfill that sort of nationalist agenda hasn't actually hurt him. His talking tough to China may or may not have helped, but he's not been terribly assertive elsewhere. He bombed Syria once and then didn't do anything about it. He's pulling out of Afghanistan and is negotiating a capitulation to Fed. It seems to be more rhetoric. Um, I wanted to just uh, touch on something that, you know, closer to home now. How do you think, uh, wh what do you think of the fact that, you know, uh, there are, of course, so many Indian connections uh, with uh, this election. The fact that uh, you, uh, Trump and Narendra Modi, our prime ministers, uh, share a bon homie. They've had campaigns together, whether it's in Gujarat or in Houston. Uh, do you, what do you make of the fact that a lot of people feel that a Trump administration is definitely better for India? Well, you know, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Yes, there is a bit of a bromance uh, that's gone on, you're right. And that bromance, which manifested itself in Howdy Modi in Houston and Namaste Trump in Ahmedabad, uh, all of that has led people to assume that, um, that this relationship uh, would, be, would be better if these two individuals continued it. But, you know, relationships between big countries are not about individuals, Sunetra. I, I would argue that, in fact, the Indo-U.S. relationship is bipartisan at both levels. That is, that uh, in America, where the Democrats win or Republicans, it's going to be an important relationship for them in days. And in India, whether the BJP is in power or Congress is, it's going to be important for us. And the reason is that I'm claiming this is because it's become very evident already from what we've seen over the last um, few administrations. Clinton and Obama were Democrats, Bush and Trump are Republicans. And yet uh, there's been a consistent um, uh, leaning of friendship towards India. Similarly, Manmohan Singh negotiated the nuclear deal uh, and, and, and Narendra Modi carried out this, this romance with the American presidents that have followed. So my, my gut feeling about this is that the relationship is secure, irrespective of who wins in America this week. I wouldn't worry about that. One thing that I would say, however, is that there are some reasons for us to worry. Uh, Mr. Trump has not always been ideal for India. His stands on trade and tariffs, uh, immigrant and work visas, the famous H-1B, and even on environmental policies, his throwaway comments on India 
about the Paris Accord, that India is asking for a lot of money to fix its environment. He's saying India is a filthy country with filthy air. All of these things don't suggest that he's been particularly friendly or well-disposed towards India. So I wouldn't be totally giving Mr. Trump a free pass as a friend of India. But, you know, frankly, uh, I suppose it's understandable that he attacked India for taking American jobs, that he imposed severe restrictions on H-1B visas, which have disproportionately hurt Indian tech professionals. As long as we are getting progress and other things that matter to us, for example, on security cooperation, intelligence sharing, some of the geopolitics surrounding the Quad, uh, we've been willing to adjust a little bit when it comes to the disagreements on trade tariffs uh, uh, as well. But if Trump comes, we will have a far more transactional relationship than we've had with any any previous president. So um, I, I think that the four years of Trump have not been an unmitigated blessing for India by any means. And uh, uh, on the other hand, if you talk about, uh, you know, Joe Biden, one of the uh, kind of immediate assumptions seems to be that we are a Democrat government means immediately a lot of questions uh, about Kashmir, a lot of meddling about Kashmir, questions about human rights. What would you say uh, to that? Well, I mean, the fact is that um, Democrats historically have been more identified with a pro-human rights and pro-democracy posture but that used to be fine for India because we're pro-human rights and pro-democracy normally. It's only when our government does things that fall afoul of the standards that our own constitution urges upon us that our friends in foreign countries uh, feel moved to say anything critical. I mean, let's face it, uh, uh, some of the Tougher words on some of the actions of the present Indian government have come from Indian Americans, have come from people like Representative Pramila Jaipal and Representative Rokhanda, who are firm liberals in the uh, Democratic Party. And Kamala Harris herself has said a couple of things as senator, which have made people nervous. I mean, obviously, I don't worry too much that it's going to be repeated uh, publicly by a Democratic administration, because they all know the importance of being able to get your things done privately. I think that just as President Obama had conveyed to Mr. Modi some of his concerns and then even made a public speech, which hinted that India's credibility in the world depended on India living up to its old standards and not some of the developments that President Obama had seen taking place uh, in Mr. Modi's government in his first year. And similarly, I imagine that a future democratic uh, administration wouldn't be no greatly different. It would continue working closely with India because India matters, because India is a democracy unlike China. But where India falls short of its own standards, I would expect that we will probably hear about it. I mean, Mr. Trump has been quite indifferent to India's domestic politics, to Hindutva, to Kashmir, uh, to any of these uh, episodes. Um, and perhaps the Democrats uh, will not be quite as indifferent, because, for example, there will be Democratic congressmen and women telling a Democratic administration, hey, you can't let this go. So yeah. to that degree, yes, but I, I, I am not, undoubtedly, I'm not worried about that because as an Indian citizen and an Indian politician, uh, my view is that India should be living up to the highest standards of democracy and of human rights uh, in our own conduct. We have a constitution that gives us our obligations to do that. And it seems to me that if we do what our constitution requires us to do and we treat our people right, then no foreign critic will have any basis to say anything to us.
And Dr. Tharoor, I'm told that we're totally out of time, but I have to ask you one final question is that, you know, personally speaking, uh, I have been, this, this election has been as fascinating as the Bihar election has been as well, I think. And, you know, we're all looking forward to seeing both. Do you see any kind of, you know, if I ask you to look at common strains, especially when, it, when we talk about identity and nationalism and all that between the two elections? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a very good question, Sunetra, because I believe that Bihar may actually demonstrate, if many of us are right, the departure, conclusive departure from the politics of identity to a politics of performance. If you look at the Mahagadbandan campaign, it's all been about performance. It's all been about Rosgar. It's all been about, you know, where is uh, the situation for our young people? Where are the jobs? Where is crime? How did you treat the migrant workers? What you're doing about the economy? It's not about vote for us because isn't the time that people like us kick the Brahmins around. You know, that kind of talk is over. At least on the RJD side, there was a time when they won elections with a strongly identity-based message. You don't hear that in this campaign. So my argument would be that uh, if the Gadbandan does as well as some of us are picking up that it will do, that it actually will be a repudiation of identity politics and a reassertion that the Indian electorate now wants to judge governments by what they do, not who they are or who they claim to represent. And that, I think, would be a very good step forward for Indian politics. Uh, to my mind, the Hindutva uh, uh, lobby will then learn that merely uh, talking about uh, Hindu unity or Hindu advancement or Hindu interests will no longer be enough because Hindu interests, like Muslim interests and Christian interests, are also to have jobs, to have a decent functioning economy, to have opportunities to improve our lives, to have decent education, drinking water, food, all of these things. And therefore, uh, people will start saying, all right, you told us we should be proud to be a Hindu and tell us to be proud of having a job. We haven't had a job since you came to power. That message, I think, is going to be extremely, extremely important for the government to hear. Well, thank you so much, Ashitharu. And of course, we don't have that much time. On Tuesday, we'll find out whether your prediction, whether this whole change and a step away from identity politics, which would, of course, be welcome, whether that comes true or not. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and good luck with the new book. It was fascinating to read. And thank you so much. Thank you, Zanetra. All the best. Bye. Thank you. So that was our interview with Shashi Tharoor done remotely in these COVID times. If you want to send your feedback, if you have questions, remarks, opinions, send your feedback to us on HD's Smartcast. We are there on Twitter and on YouTube. You can also send it on our website. You can also reach out to me personally at Sunetra C on Twitter or at Miss Sunetra on Instagram as well. I'll be back again with another episode of On The Record. Till then, keep listening to HD Smartcast. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.